0: In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: I never win and
3: tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: What's going on, y'all? Before jumping into this week's episode of Dad Hard with a Podcast, I just wanted to remind everybody that next week is an extremely important week in our country's history. As on November 3rd, it's Election Day. Uh, For most states, most cities, you are able to vote early and vote already this week. I did so yesterday, and I took my daughter to the polls to do it, uh, because it is that important of an election year. Um, with everything that's gone on this year, twenty twenty, between coronavirus and forest fires and social justice, and uh, the the list goes on and on. It has never been more important to get to the polls and to vote and to make your voice heard. Not just for us right now and for the next four years, but because most of us are all parents. It is really for the future of our kids that we're doing this for now. So, please, get out, vote. Never been more important than this year. With that said, let's roll on into the show.
3: Hey, you got him with this one, dog. It's so, so full. Let's take him back. Come on. Hey, remember back in the block. In the summertime when the sidewalk got so boiling hot That the heat from the street almost melt your flip-flops Or bump through your new shoes and leave you with holes in your socks Us city slickers, there was no water in spots So we'd head to the corner, Mr. Warner would knock the knob What is up? Welcome, we welcome, welcome all my doodadders, future fathers, potential parents, and everyone
2: else tuning in This is Dad Hard with a podcast. And as always, I am your host, Mo Green. Yes, we are still in quarantine. Before I jump into everything, to connect on the fatherhood brotherhood, shoot us an email at dadhardpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dadhardpod, and check out the website we dadhard.com where this episode will be at the very tippy tippy top. And you can listen to the entire season one entire season two entire fatherhood adventure um with all guests all weekly developments of uh, of my daughter and and for any new dad what you might be looking forward to if you're behind me in the process so definitely check that out with that said this is episode 52 of dad hard with a podcast and uh This week, we touch on an extremely important topic in parenting and fatherhood, specifically. Um, This week with my guest, uh, writer Joe Cohane, who authored the Men's Health Magazine article that I was a part of. Uh, And the topic that we're touching on is postpartum depression in... Dad specifically, but also in moms as he, he did a full deep dive into the entire process, all the happenings, all the causes, all the risks from how it can affect each individual person dealing with it down to how it can affect our relationships all the way down to how it can actually affect our kids, uh, which is actually the most eye opening and important part of it. So I definitely want to give that um, interview. A significant amount of time. It's a long one, uh, and it is worth every second. Um, or as they say, worth the price of admission. Uh, and that admission is free for you, so you should definitely stay tuned and check that out. It's it's a really important episode, uh, one of the most important interviews that I think has come on this show. Uh, and and definitely one of the most informative by leaps and bounds, if not the most informative. So definitely check that out with Joe Kohane coming up after the musical break. Uh, so like I said. Gonna cut this segment down, try to keep it to about 10 to 12 minutes. I normally go 15 to 20, but I'm gonna try to keep it short and concise uh, so that we can not extend the episode all the way past more than an hour and a couple of minutes. So stay tuned for that. Talking about development, it is week 65 of being a dad. And as I mentioned last week, My daughter is a walking, walking, walking fiend. She continues to practice this every day. I feel like she's like training for the Olympics, right? In in a specific event, right? Because all she wants to do, anything she does has to include walking. I actually went to go pick her up for my in-laws yesterday, uh, yesterday afternoon. And my mother-in-law says she has literally just been standing up and walking up and down our hallway for the last hour and a half doing nothing. She doesn't want to play. She doesn't want to do anything. She just is walking back and forth up and down this hallway by herself, not paying any attention to either of us, just walking, 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 trying to like perfect it. Um, and it, it's nuts because then earlier today before recording this she took her standing activity block that's not really supposed to move right it's supposed to be heavy enough that a baby like can't really move it and she's taking it and she's just trying to like pull it around and walk in all different directions and try to maneuver this thing around while she's walking walking backwards walking sideways i'm like what the hell are you doing this is insane um and of course with more walking comes more falling and with more falling comes more crying and with more crying comes more jesus i just continue to get heartbroken every time i hear her cry um but that's inevitable right um and it's not even that they get hurt it's that they get scared because they're still not used to this whole walking thing um what i try to do a lot is whenever she stands up and she's gonna start walking. I try to kind of do it with her when I'm around, and try to tell her, "Okay, get your balance, get your," ba-, and try to make sure that she's kind of like set, you know, before she starts just embarking on whatever walking journey she's about to take. Um, and you know, I show her, put her hands out of the side, kind of walk, so she kind of looks like Frankenstein meets a penguin, still meets drunk daddy. But yeah, the falling is just, it just becomes so much more nerve wracking because you can see that they're not so balanced and they're like, whoa, whoa. Every step is like, is she going to fall? Is she not going to fall? Is she going to fall forward? Is she going to fall backwards? Is she going to bump her head onto this thing? Um, so it's a little bit nerve wracking, a lot of bit nerve wracking, I really should say. Uh, but you know, I guess it is just part of the process and part of their development is learning how to fall too. Um... And they, they just have to get used to it. When they do fall, you better have a arsenal of her favorite things or his favorite things at the ready. And you know exactly what to go to in order to stop the crying and reverse that frown upside down and turn into a smile. Um, the other thing that I mentioned last week that she just started doing, which continues with a vengeance this week is the saying of no. So the walking continues, the knowing continues. uh, And now, instead of just like saying it for certain things it's just her response for everything, right? I, I think she doesn't, I think she thinks that it means no and yes. And it makes it very confusing for mom and dad to figure out what the hell she's trying to say and ask for. So she could be making the uh, the motion that she's hungry, right? Putting her hands towards her mouth and she makes this clicking noise, right? How she knows how to do that, I have no idea, but she does it. And so I'll say, Aurora, are you hungry? She goes, no. And then she'll go back to making like the I'm hungry motion. And I'm just like, what? I, you just said, all right, we're going to feed you anyway. She'll be in her chair, high chair, screaming at the top of her lungs.
3: Ice pop, ice pop,
2: ice pop. Like she wants an ice pop. We make these yogurt pops for her and try to use it to get her milk intake and calcium, et cetera. Anyway, uh, she'll be screaming ice pop at the top of her lung. And we'll say, Rory, do you want an ice pop? No. And then she'll start screaming ice pop again, and it is extremely confusing, and it is just like I mentioned last week, it is my worst nightmare enhanced to about 6,000, because I just am constantly hearing no to everything. She'll wake up from a nap, she'll go rock, 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 she wants me to rock her in her rocking chair. I'll say, Aurora, you want to rock? No. And then rock, bok, rock, rock. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. What are we gonna do here? We gotta we gotta get some semblance of a communication process going on here. Gotta get on the same page because just saying no to everything is just killing me. The new thing that she is doing this week and she has developed is the inevitable, ladies and gentlemen. And it is my first My Not really my first, because I guess Pete the Cat was the first one. But now she has finally developed an obsession with Frozen. Yes, before I was a father, I was like, ah, nah, she'll never. I'm I'm never going to let my kid get obsessed with Frozen. Frozen? Come on. It's not even. I never saw the movie. It's a great fucking movie. And I love watching it with her. Now, I might be obsessed with Frozen. Who knows? But anyway, uh, she is now obsessed with Frozen specifically Elsa, right? Because what person, what child that's not obsessed with Frozen is not obsessed with Elsa, but as my daughter calls it, it's Elka. And uh, a while ago, uh, somebody gave us like a set of Frozen, like plastic bath toys. And it was before my daughter ever knew what Frozen was. I didn't never watch it. My wife never watched it, never showed it to my daughter. I don't even know if we had Disney Plus yet, but um, out of the blue, one day she like couple last week or week before she woke up before six a.m. and it was my day to wake up with her so. You know, I do what any dad waking up at before 6 a.m. in the morning does with their child. I put on Disney Plus and and put on Frozen. I said, ah, you know what? Fuck it. She might as well learn now and let's see if she likes it. We have these toys. You know, maybe we'll get some use out of them. And thank God, because after one time of watching Frozen, where at the end she made me rewind The end credits back about 13 times just to hear let it go 13 times um she has become obsessed with Elsa so I took out these toys to try and divert her attention from rewinding the closing credits to hear let it go for the 14th time and I showed her that it's all the toys the only one she cared about was yes you guessed it Elsa and yes as you probably also guessed she has not let this plastic bath Elsa toy go for the last 10 days literally since I gave it to her she has not put it down it comes in to the stroller when we go for a walk it comes to the bath well, it is a bath toy after all. It goes to my in-laws house when we take her over there for them to watch her. It actually even goes on the changing table with her where my daughter started crying the other day because she accidentally banged Elsa's head on the wall. And so she was kissing Elsa's head and crying because she hurt Elsa. Number one, that's the sweetest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Sweetest thing I've ever heard as I even regurgitate it back to you. Um, but it's incredible how obsessed with this doll she is. She's never been obsessed with anything like this. You know, she was obsessed with Pete the Cat for a while, but it was also maybe just the, the aspect of watching TV because she just called TV Pete. Uh, now she wants to carry this Elsa doll every freaking place that she goes doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how long, uh, That it, it's coming with her. Um, and if she drops it when we're outside, screaming top of her lungs, so upset, can't imagine life without it anymore. Um, so... I believe it was my wife's cousins that gave us the salsa doll. So shout out to you guys because you have uh, saved my life from having, giving my daughter something to replicate and remember frozen by everywhere that she goes. Um, so dads, if ever you get Disney toys, right, or toys from a Disney movie, doesn't matter what the hell they are. doesn't matter if you've ever seen the movie. My advice to you, keep them around because eventually your child will learn about whatever movie those toys are from and they will become their obsession. And you will be a hero because you kept them and you're able to just poof, make them materialize out of seemingly nowhere, and with that, that is all for this segment. We're gonna jump into a quick musical break, and on the other side, we have one of the most important, uh, and enlightening, and informative interviews we've ever done here on the show with writer Joe Cohane, Uh, who we sit down and we do a deep dive into postpartum depression in men, early fathers. We do touch on postpartum depression in mothers as well. So dads, moms, anybody listening, um, this is a really, really, really fantastic episode. So please check it out, listening to it in full, uh, because it's something that not a lot of people talk about, and we're going to talk about it. So we're going to jump into a quick musical break, and I will catch you on the other side.
3: singing shit to your face so i do it over keys and bass listen girl i've been holding this back now for a while i just couldn't a thought and i seen you smile swear peace piece of me dies inside every time you cry but i'm rolling back these lies behind these brown eyes and girl it's about time with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom 18. Plus.
3: Remember back in the days before you got brains and lost in the haze. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fine. Ride, ride. Remember back in the days before you had brains or cared about your ways. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fine. Ride, ride. Remember the sandbox? Little leap ball felt like the sand lock. I was the bambino, the salt on the swap. And Doc was more like Benny the Jet. No, Henny, but yet. And we are back with this week's episode of Dad
2: Hard with a podcast. And as always, you know, once that music break hits, it is time for the guest segment of the show. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very, very special guest. Uh, I'm actually super excited to have this dude on because he actually gave me the honor of featuring me in an article that he wrote for uh, Men's Health Magazine, touching on postpartum depression in men. Uh, He has written for the likes of GQ, Esquire, New York Times, New York Magazine, anything under the sun, and he has just finished his book book that'll be out next year, uh, The Power of Strangers, which we were just talking about before recording. I'm super excited to read. So with no further ado, my fellow Brooklynite, at least for the time being, Joe Cohane, how are you? Good, sir.
1: Hey, my man. it's I'm uh, doing pretty good. How are you? Happy uh, to be
2: on. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to have you on because we've been trying to do this for probably <laughs> since January, since we first talked for the Men's Health article but how's everything? How's the response been to this men's health article? Obviously I was a part of it and it was super powerful. I think you did a absolutely phenomenal job in expressing the actual happenings, emotions, feelings, etc. for men dealing with postpartum depression or just the hardships in general of early fatherhood. Uh, how is the reaction been that you've gotten?
1: It's been good, yeah. It's been it's been really positive. I mean, the story I was drawn to the story because it's it's um, it's something that no one talks about, but it's something that people talk about so little that no one even knows it exists. Um, Postpartum depression in men is not something that people think of. They usually think of postpartum depression as something that affects mothers, right? Um, And it took a really long time for like the medical establishment to even recognize that it's a real thing. Um, in women that it's not women being crazy which is what they thought what they said it would be for a long time it wasn't until the 90s that it was actually recognized as a real thing so it took all this time and all this effort to get um, the due attention to maternal postpartum depression and now that's being studied properly research is being funded it's a big deal Um, people take it very seriously but in the meantime um, paternal postpartum depression has also been happening but it's invisible and due to a a number of cultural factors like people just start talking about it Um, And the interesting thing about doing a story like that is that you end up as a writer in a position of articulating something other people are feeling, but they don't understand that they're feeling it yet. You know, like some of the feedback I've gotten has been guys who are just like, holy shit, I didn't I totally felt that way. That was exactly it. Like you and and the sources in the story um, perfectly articulated what was happening to me. But because it's so, so little understood and so little talked about, like they didn't even know to look for it yep. when it happened to them. It never even occurred to them to be like, Oh, this might be, this might be postpartum depression. And we've heard from women too, who are who are like, yeah, my husband is like, I showed this oh, to him. And he was like, yeah, that's, this is, this is what this is. Like this is, this explains what we went through. So that's been really, really heartening to see that sort of um, feedback.
2: Yeah. That's the um, same. That's the same type of feedback that I've gotten. We were talking before I, uh, we started recording and I've gotten the same thing from just dads that I know that I'm friends with, some of which have been on the show. They hit me up after reading it and it was like, dude, like, this is amazing that like you were part of this and, and talked about it um, because I never said anything to anybody because I just thought that. It's just I just chalked up these feelings to this is what early fatherhood is like. I'm supposed to be anxious and, uh, you know, or maybe it's not what it is. And I'm just completely failing across the board because I'm feeling all these different things. Um, it was a phenomenal thing for you to bring to light. And uh, when you reached out to like the Park Slope parents group or whatever, were yes, ladies and gentlemen, This is another Park Slope Parents plug. I know I do this all the time. Um, but I was like, you know what? Let me, let me jump on here because I think it's an important thing. And I actually haven't never talked about that on, on this pod, uh, which is really why I'm super pumped to have you on because you're probably the best expert on the topic that I know at this point that I have a direct connection with, um, before we jump into, like, that whole topic, though, how are things with you? How, how has this pandemic been? I know that your daughter's, like, four years old, uh, so I'm sure shit is really real for you in the in the Kohane house. Uh, how have you been dealing with that, especially in the midst of trying to finish this book?
1: Yeah, no, it's a nightmare. I mean, if you had, like, you couldn't have engineered a situation that would be more perfectly designed to destroy me mentally than this uh it is like it's just a, it's like the, the kill shot the death star you couldn't have come up with a better way to unravel me um so like think about what like what world are we playing with here right uh confinement yes which drives me crazy Jesus. um the this this kind of like curiously this curious mix of never being able to socialize but also never being alone like that's uniquely difficult to deal with
2: you're absolutely like, phenomenal like point there's
1: always someone in the room but i never i haven't seen anyone else in like so long yes. at least for the, the early months especially yes when it was so intense and we lost childcare for months uh that was really hard because we're both working full-time jobs um i ended up working on like i had a crazy movie job for two months so i was just you know i was getting up at four Jesus. watching our daughter until one working until 10 or 11 going to bed getting up at four like for months like that so it was a wicked grind um yeah it's super hard i mean you know i wrote about this a little bit in the book but i went through postpartum depression um when we had our daughter and i didn't have the slightest idea what it was
3: sure
1: um i just felt like i was unraveling and being like both a guy and like an irish catholic from boston oh, um Jesus emotions are not discussed difficulty is not discussed it's a sign of weakness so i just like put my head down and like got through it but it was it was rough um and what i realized was like some of the stuff that really set me off then was you know i think this is probably true for most men but you kind of jerry rig together like a like a mental health regimen yeah. right like it's not it's not a sensible way of doing it but it'll be like you know you go boxing and whatever like whatever you have to do to keep your head on for street. sure um, and i you know guys do that because it, generally like we said they don't usually go in for mental health stuff they don't usually seek treatment or things like that we're pretty bad about it we've always been pretty bad about it um but the way i I always you know stayed pretty sane was through a mix of like being able to work because i really like what i do being able to work at will and working a lot like i always really like that um seeing people all the time like going out going to see music going to museums going to the movies all the time like just being in motion i love being out and about i love being around people um, and so all that stuff, like, that door closes when you have a kid, right? Yep. You, know, you have no more social contact, really. You're stuck inside. Um, you're tired. If you want to work, like, you're constantly being interrupted. Like, all that stuff I realized was, like, the things I used to, like, keep myself sane were just immediately um, taken off the table. Sure. Uh, and I think that's what, you know, the more I think about this, um, I think losing all that stuff in one shot really screwed me up. Um it was kind of a disaster like i just i felt like claustrophobic and you know none of this is super you know everybody talks about this um but it hit me really hard just yeah. like never seeing anyone um never being able to like go out you know on top of the sleep deprivation on top of the screaming and all the stuff that you deal with um early on um i just found it extraordinarily difficult yeah. so when COVID happened you know i like i i, I brazen that out the first time around when COVID happened it was like that times 10 right? yeah it was it was a much much worse version of that same thing um to the point where i was joking with other people being like now everybody knows what it's like to have a baby right you're, you're fucking stuck inside you never see anyone anymore you're exhausted that you're like ambient stress levels are so much higher than they were in the first place 100 um, percent. you feel like you're suffocating like oh, i was like yeah this is pretty much like you know don't put too negative a spit on it, but yeah, that's a lot like what it's like when you have a baby.
2: Did it take you back to like that feeling, same feelings that you had when you first had your daughter?
1: Oh, like a slingshot. Yeah. Oh, I, really? I knew like, I knew I was, in, as soon as it came back in force and I was like, I can't, I can't do this again. I got to, I got to figure this out. Um, and then ended up like, you know, finding a therapist and I've been working with that nice. a little bit. Um, and talking to all you guys for the story was that was actually great too, um, just to get those stories and, and to and to see that there are other people who've gone through this, for sure. um, and that it is pretty normal. And that was you know the, the big one of the big draws of the story for me too is to try to normalize this sort of thing yep. to make it um, you know this isn't like like dealing with emotions, trying to fix things like this isn't just the province of like like new age woo woos. Um, this is stuff that like fairly conventional men like ourselves can probably go in for and really benefit from. Yeah, um, and, and but it, yeah, for for sure that all that stuff came back when when the coronavirus hit, and then I knew like I started researching it more. I, I just I mean I knew I needed to get out ahead of it. Yeah, did
2: you, so you mentioned regular guys like like us go through it all the time, but I also feel and we talked about this also for like when we did the interview for the story. I feel like men have been going through this for decades and decades and decades and decades. They just you know the expectations of being manly manly macho was so much higher you know and the value i mean this is gonna sound shitty to say so i apologize to all my ladies and moms out there but like the value of a woman's role in a relationship was strictly you know strictly to care for the household and so men didn't really need to like worry that much about like if they didn't want to be around the kid they didn't necessarily have to because that was the woman's jo- uh, job you know what right. i mean yep. now yep. now and rightfully so things have evolved and there's more equality in the workplace there's more just equality and and love for females and, and women in general by the male gender uh, and respect for them we're more eye open so i think that that actually because of because of our newfound love and appreciation for women in this generation, it makes it almost harder on us mentally, emotionally, when we have kids and still feel like we need to be the rock, but also want to be there to support our wives or partners to, you know, push forward and not just be the sole caretaker of kids, etc. You know what I mean? We want to be involved in that now. And I think that, Plays a huge role in like the mind fuck that turns into postpartum depression. And I think it's great that got uh, people like you um, not to pat myself on the back, but people like me and all of the guys that were in the story are willing to, you know, come out and, and talk about it and actually bring it to light to let it know that it's a normal thing. You know, yeah. you said yeah. you said 10 percent of dads go through it. I think it's probably significantly higher than that behind closed doors.
1: Yeah, the the estimates go as high as twenty five percent. I think it's, it's even higher than it's that. A, it's a little tricky, just because it's like it's not. It hasn't been included in the in the DSM five, which is like the diagnostic manual for mental health professionals. Okay. Um, that's when something is included the DSM, like that makes it real. It's sure. like a list of criteria, so you can very clearly diagnose like what a thing is. Oh, interesting. And cool. postpartum depression in men because it hasn't been it hasn't gotten that clear a criteria yet. It's a little it's still a little hazy. So it's kind of like. A major depressive episode or a major anxiety disorder sure. but what that is is a little hazy you know so like it could be different it could be experienced very differently among different individuals they might report it differently um i do think it's probably underreported a bit just because men underreport mental health issues and actually interestingly like fathers are even worse than childless men <laughs> at, at reporting this stuff yeah they. i mean the numbers are like um it's actually true because you know, guys without kids are bad at this um, just because we are. Yep. I mean, it's a, it's a mix of cultural factors and probably some natural stuff in there too. Um, but when a man becomes a father, you have all this cultural pressure to be the rock, like you said. Yep. Um, and, you know, the phrase that turns up a lot is support and provide. So you yep. have to support, provide, support, provide. Um, the models we have from a lot of our fathers were sort of stoic. Um, if they were having a hard time, like they didn't show it. Yep. Um,
3: yeah, or, also, or they remove themselves sort of, from the situation no completely. No, so
1: many drunks. Like I was, you know, to your point about how a lot of men were probably depressed before, I just think of, like, how many drunks there were yep. growing up, you know? Um, I think there's probably a, it, it was an enormous amount of undiagnosed depression and, and mood disorders and stuff like that. 100%. that they just didn't Society didn't recognize and they didn't have the capability of dealing with um, because it was so associated with, like, shame and weakness. Um, but, yeah, with, with fathers... Um, that's what they're so worried about. They don't want to be seen as um, being failures, being um, like subpar you know supporters and providers. Um, and they certainly don't want to make it seem like they're having like a pity contest with their wives who actually deliver the baby. That's, you know, I talked to a lot of guys for this story. Um, you three got in there, but I, I talked to like a dozen guys. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I just wasn't able to write the ten thousand word story that I wanted to write. For sure, um, but all of them said that same thing: just being like, "I don't think I deserved my own suffering." Hundred um, percent, which is you know, noble in a sense, and sh- certainly sure shows, shows like a certain social awareness about like changing times and and giving mothers their due and, and supporting women and and, um, and all these sort of gender changes that have been happening. Um, but when it prevents them from getting help. Then it just starts doing damage. Yeah. So it's like to to try to thread that needle and be like, just because I'm struggling, it doesn't mean that I'm trying to say that I'm struggling as much as you are or more than you are. I'm just having a hard time. So I need to go figure this. It's
2: it's funny. I actually I actually talked about this on um, uh, on uh, a previous episode of the podcast. Um, with Michael Liss from the he works in the New York Post uh, and he said the exact same thing I always you know at the end I'm gonna ask you these questions also but one of the one of the questions I always ask is for what a dad's you know best piece of advice is for a dad behind them and his was specifically to take care of yourself also, and we you know we went into a lengthy conversation um about that exact fact. It is very difficult it's it's another layer that makes it difficult for for a dad because we know that the the woman that the mom is going through so much more than we could that we could ever go through. And that's just happenstance of biology. um, But you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, hormonally, you know, all this stuff, and, and some of which we don't have most of which we don't have to deal with, it makes it even more difficult to to try to express and have those conversations with your with your partner about that, because you feel guilty that like you're feeling inadequate, or you're feeling you know, trapped or depressed or whatever it might be because you see them going through it tenfold.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it ends up being a, um, one really interesting stat that I turned up when I was doing this was that if you, if your partner is depressed, your, um, odds of getting postpartum depression, um, increased by 50%. Wow. So it's like a, it, it's just, um, gas, <clears throat> gasoline in the fire. If you're with a depressed person, Right so if your if your partner's having a really hard time, not only does that make you less likely to like take care of yourself or th- think about like are you are you holding sure. up are you healthy here um, is this, you know, do you need help? Um, but it can actually also cause depression in you so it can spread. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of research on like what happens to children who have young children who have two depressed parents, oh, um, and it's a disaster. It's, a, it's a, it causes all sorts of developmental issues. It raises their levels of stress hormones, which can affect cognitive development and um, you know the development of their immune systems and all this stuff. It has very serious repercussions. Uh, living with depressed parents,
2: it's actually funny. So, that... It's actually, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's actually funny that you mentioned that because I remember when my wife was really, my wife really had a hard time with breastfeeding in general. um, And we went to this lactation consultant and the first thing that the consultant said when, you know, my wife was showing her how she normally breastfeeds, she was like, you need to relax because your anxiety and stress is making the baby anxious and stressed. And yeah. I think that moment was the moment that kind of like she snapped out of it and was like, all right, fine, done and done. I'm going to just go ball, you know, balls out and, and, and strength, you know, toughen up and just and take it and figure out what we need to do. But it's it just interesting that you say that 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 trickles down into the ch- the child because th- this lactation consultant said it literally right off the bat. Never had met us before. She could see it immediately that it was having, you know, my, my wife's anxiety and stress was having this effect on our daughter. And that was, you know, she was what six weeks old at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting you say that, um, do you find that, do, do you find that people that have previous anxiety issues or potential struggles with depression before being a parent, do do you find that this kind of exacerbates it, and they also they're more inclined to suffer from this?
1: Yeah, the real the real red flags, uh, you know, like a like a history of depression is certainly a red flag. But if you had a history of depression and then you got help for it, you have the tools to cope with it. Sure. So when it hits in postpartum, like you've gone to therapy, you meditate, whatever you do to hold yourself sure. together, you're aware of it. You're aware of how it works. You're aware of like what the warning signs are when it sets in. Sure. So you're you're in a position where you're, you can actually cope with it better than someone who had undiagnosed depression or anxiety. Like the people who have a history of undiagnosed depression or anxiety are just sitting ducks for this. Really? Um, And those are, you know, that's like, that would be me. I mean, that's like somebody who just, who is just stoic. Yeah. Um, When they would go into a dark place and just like hold it together, you know, keep your head down. Don't talk to anybody about it. Like go for long walks, work compulsively, like whatever you do to get through it. Um, Those are the ones that just get their clocks cleaned because you don't have the skills to cope with it and you probably also don't even really know what it is
2: right you don't recognize what you're going through because you don't know what you don't have any frame of reference for anything you know before before that those feelings etc what did you do to did you do anything specific like when you started feeling that what was kind of your experience as far as trying to cope with it yourself, obviously not actually coping with it. Cause we all don't just go and try to figure it out. Actually, we all try to do it ourselves and turn to something else. You know, what was, what was your kind of mechanism for, um, for like coping with it yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I did. I, I can't overstate how little I did, but I, I, I didn't do shit. I did absolutely nothing. Do not do what I did. So when it when we went when uh, you know the coronavirus hit, that's when when that that came back. I was like, clearly at this point, so, I need to deal with. It.
2: So that was the first. So when coronavirus hit, was the first time you actually like tried to do the therapy thing or whatever. You didn't. You didn't even touch that before the first time around.
1: Yeah, my, my tribe doesn't go to therapy. I, so. I mean, I did you. <laughs> I did you one hundred percent.
2: That that Boston. Yeah. Irish Catholic Jesus, I know it far too well. My whole family's from Boston.
1: As I'm thinking more about this, the one other coping mechanism, um, such as such as it was, was just drinking more.
2: Yeah, that um, was yep.
1: Especially very early on, when you're just in outer space and like yep. time has ceased to mean anything to you, your whole life has been taken turned upside down and shaken. Um, but I definitely started like having a couple, you know, like a couple pretty big drinks a night, um, which at first was just like it's five o'clock we've gotten through the day i'm gonna have like a glass of bourbon and then the glass of bourbon just kept getting bigger and bigger and then i remember specifically one day like going to the liquor cabinet pouring myself a drink and walking across the room and becoming aware that my my wife's eyes were following the drink and then i was just like oh and then i looked at it and i was like i wonder how much booze i'm putting in this glass. yeah and then i'm like four or five ounces <laughs> but yeah we- so yeah oh, that's a lot okay that's a, uh, you know and not not like getting drunk or anything like that but definitely more than i usually do sure um and i you know my buddy and i were talking about this but the uh he kind of did that too and i don't think that's uncommon i don't think that's a sign of like a a mental health problem either i think a lot of people do it but for me it was a way of getting out of the house without getting out of the house It was like a way of traveling when you're stuck in confinement um just to remove yourself from that from the from the stimulation from like Like anything to feel like you're just somewhere else for for a minute, and I feel
2: like that's it's not only that it takes you out of the house without going out of the house, but like especially if that's a normalcy for you, like going out with friends on like whatever night, you you know that you can't see your friends and you can't go outside, so at least you can drink a little bit. You know what I mean? Like maybe get some of that vibe back in and get that normal see back. You know what I mean? If you can't, yeah. co- you know, be in contact with anybody, at least you can do what you would do if you were in contact with somebody
1: absolutely yeah yeah it's like a connection to your old life yeah for sure for sure I feel uh, like, coronavirus like a, very, has done the same very, a very sad little connection but a connection nonetheless
2: yes I, I feel i feel like coronavirus just like you kind of alluded to the duality between cor- coronavirus and like early parenthood um i feel like coronavirus is, is, has done that also i definitely have uh upped my my alcohol intake since coronavirus. similarly to actually probably more so but similarly to, to what how i did when when my daughter was first born just to kind of relax you know it was also kind yeah. of a sense of like relaxing like oh she's asleep i have a couple hours let me have a beer let me have some tequila whatever it might be you know what i mean okay. um and then it's also a way to get out of the house because you got to go to the liquor store to get more
1: right yeah yeah and then you're just you turn into one of those desperate cases that's like trying to have a long conversation with the guy at the liquor store just cuz you're so frantic for some sort of human contact with yeah. someone
2: else right indeed <laughs> Dude, just yeah talking to the guys at the bodega for a number of minutes about anything that you can possibly talk to them about so this chocolate here uh is it imported or is it oh, you know sure, sure, just
1: sure, sure. Yep. yeah you know yeah. thank god for bodegas those, those guys are saints
2: Dude, I'm, like, best friends now with, like, the guys in my bodega down, down the street. Like, we're, like, best friends. I can't, literally can't go in there now without having yeah. a 10-minute 10, 10 conversation. Except the flip side is that they're starting the conversation with me because I was, you, you know. um. So, ultimately, to, to get over it, you just kind of just got over it. You just powered through it and was just. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. What did um, it feel
2: like when you got out on the other side?
1: I don't even know if I was aware that I was on the other side. Um, Interesting there is like one of the, the this kind of like leading psychologist who studies men's mental health had a great point that was like and i heard this from some other people too but um men can be so bad at identifying like emotional difficulty and so bad at coping with it that they might not even recognize it at a certain point so if you like you know if, like a lot of guys will, will respond to depression with like Stoicism, or anger, or compulsive exercise, or compulsive work, or things like that, which are all like people would watch that happening and just be be like, "This is just masculinity." Like, this is just yeah. a guy acting like a normal guy, and that becomes so routinized as a response that the guy himself might not even know what's behind it. Like, it's yeah. just like, "Oh, now I'm now I'm pissed off." Like, now I'm ranting, whatever. Like, I just feel like hey, you know, I, I I'm really into working right now. I just all I want to do is work. I don't want to talk to anyone else. I just want to work they might not even be aware that there might be depression or kind sure. of anxiety disorder underneath that um and that makes it so much harder too and uh, you know to your point earlier about whether or not this is underreported you know it probably is because you might say like were you depressed and be like oh you know i, I got i wasn't depressed like i wasn't crying i was pissed off i'm like working 20 hours a day so i wouldn't have to go home yeah. um but that's what that is like that's what's happening underneath all that stuff and so like there's not a great emotional awareness of like the chain of things like the chain of emotions that result in certain behaviors right so like anger is a big one like i'm comfortable with anger i'm completely comfortable with anger it's my home it's where i live um Uh, but like you know all my friends growing up like everyone was there would be like busting each other's balls and getting mad and being sort of loud and like talking you know just big talkers um but you'd be, they'd be like, "Oh, that guy's like he's oh, he's he's a real hothead, like he's pissed off all the time." And he would just be like, "Yeah, I guess I'm just pissed off all the time without ever thinking or without anyone being like, "You know, there's something under that yep. um, that you should probably deal with." Um, you know, but instead he's like a hilarious hothead. Yep. And so a oh, doctor was like, that, that in my crew advice. also." He's like, "No, I'm just like I'm just an asshole. Like everyone says that." Yep. Um so there is like there's like an like an emotional illiteracy there that makes a lot of these problems really hard for um for psychiatrists and doctors to even spot or diagnose because we're so good at hiding this stuff. Yeah. Amazingly good because there is like this, you know, this ideal of stoicism. Like if you're having a hard time, you keep a stiff upper lip, you get the job done. Um, And that's fantastic. And that's super useful in a lot of ways. And we're like that because it was adaptive to a certain extent, like it's an evolutionary advantage. Um, But when it turns into like a pathology, then it becomes sort of destructive. If it's like separating you from your own emotions, um, and it's misfiring um, and it's affecting people around you and it's like, you know, affecting your health and you don't know why and you can't put a name to it, then it becomes like a catastrophe. Um, and when that sort of thing happens in the context of parenting, it's like a, a really serious problem yep. um, because it's not just you anymore. It's you, it's your partner. You know, there's research that shows like rates of domestic violence spike after the birth of a child. And it's really? you know, it's 69% of the times it's the first time like a, a man has ever gotten violent towards his partner. Wow. Um, and so that's depression. Like you yeah. might just be like, this guy's like an like an anger case, but that's likely depression underpinning that. Yeah. Um, and then on top of like the raft of emotional and like developmental problems that it causes um, a little kid to have a depressed parent, um, it's, it's a really serious problem. So I, I think if I was unmarried and didn't have a child, I could probably go on the way I was just fine. Sure. Like just stitching myself together like this. But now it's it'll affect the lives of other people around me, and like not only affect them, I won't just put them out or make their lives like unhappy. It'll actually screw up the kid. So now, like you know, the only choice to make is to figure it out. Yeah, you know, try to try to get better and try to understand what is underpinning it, and, and like techniques you might use to, to uh, get better at dealing with it. You know?
3: Sure.
2: How did it affect? You talk about it affecting the rela- like relationships, or just affecting other the the, the child the specifically. Child. Did you find that, in your experience, did it affect your partner, number one, and your relationship with your daughter, number two? Did you find that it, like, specifically affected that in any way? And,
1: it was a very intense time for everybody. And not just because of me, but because we're, like, well, of course. Yeah, we're both working, we don't have any family around to help out.
2: And you also um, just had a child, which yeah, is yeah, difficult yeah, exactly. in itself.
1: And so it's, you know, it's super intense. I don't know. I'm pretty I got pretty good at hiding this. So I think when I told my wife, she was surprised. Really? Um, yeah. And I said this in the story too, but I told a friend like, while I was reporting the story and he was just like, really? The same as you just being like, yeah. you are amazingly good at concealing. this." Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I think she was stressed out. I was stressed out. Um, you know, in those early stages, it's hard to be super aware of one another when you're just trying to like sure. keep the, keep the thing together. Um, I did have a moment that I think about a lot with our daughter where, when you have like i was reading up on maternal postpartum depression but like one of the things that can screw up a child um who has a depressed parent is when you're just kind of vacant Yep. you know like you're just checked out um and you're staring blankly ahead um you know you think about things that would stress a child and it's like yelling or erratic behavior or things like that like and and that certainly does but checking out like that can also cause that can be really stressful for a kid um, because you're just not not there. I mean, one of the reasons why maternal postpartum depression is so serious is because oftentimes that's how it manifests. Like, you're just not there. Like, yeah. you're bodily in the room, but you are not there emotionally. You're not really there mentally. You're just staring out the window. The kid can't get your attention. Like, that's actually, that's a real problem. That can, you know, enough yeah. of that can screw up a kid. Um, and I remember one day just, like, feeling completely hollowed out and sitting at the kitchen table, um, eating dinner, and I was just, like, blankly staring at my kid and she just had this sort of searching look on her face where she was just trying to figure out like just looked puzzled and was trying to figure out like what should i be worried should i be happy should i be scared and i was just like completely blank and you could see even then like in that little moment you could see that this is stressful yeah um not knowing um you know you're expected to be pretty pretty um well, like check in to them, yeah. and when you're not, they're they're looking to you for cues on how they're supposed to feel, how they're supposed to behave, and yeah. you are just absent. Yeah, um, and you do that enough, and that can that can cause you know that can stress out the kid, and if the kid's stressed out for a long time at a really young age, that can start to cause developmental problems and things like that. But I just remember the look on our face. But um, it's definitely, I think when it happened, I I noticed it, but I didn't really notice it, and then. Later on when I did the research for the story, I was like, Oh, that's what that is. Like wow. that's that is that's human psychology right there. Was it's that see little signs of like the the damage that this can do in the way it manifests.
2: Was that the trigger? Was like that moment like the trigger for you was that was like, Oh shit, like I need to switch something up or did you have a trigger moment at all whatsoever? Because the exactly what you talked about, I remember Like, you know, I was kind of just like going through the motions one time while I was giving my daughter a bath. And I know that exact look that you're talking about exactly to a T. It like I'm like literally seeing it and like reliving that right now, like as you were were talking about it. And because for me, that was the moment that was like, all right, pretty sure something is up. I need to try to figure this out. And, you know, that's when I started trying to talk to other people dad's about it try to utilize you know the the park parents yes another plug the the dad 411 group um and express that and see if there was any other guys out there that were kind of going through that but that look of like uh i need like I, I need something from you right now and you're just zonked
1: yeah yeah you you really you and you when you when you learn about this you see it all the time but they follow your lead yeah a lot of times, and sometimes they're following your lead by seeing what you want and openly defying you uh, to test the limits and stuff like that. But they very much, they very much respond to like what you're putting out there, yeah. um, and they say that about tantrums, like temper tantrums. Like if you if you get mad because they're throwing a temper tantrum, it, they'll escalate it. Yeah. But sure. if you're calm, like it's you know it's a, a, the question of mirror neurons, right? They'll mirror your behavior. Um, so they're super aware of it, and they have to be aware of it because if you're out on the veld, you're like a hunter gatherer if the kid's not paying attention to the father, like the kid's got to get eaten by a cheater or something like, there's a reason we behave
3: like Great secret. We're, we're team
1: players, you know, yeah. so we have to be in sync. Um, but when you're out of sync, the kid definitely notice notices it and you get the sense they're kind of grasping for something. But I just remember this puzzled look on her face. Um, that was not a galvanizing moment um, because, again, I did nothing. But um, <laughs> I think about it. It's very significant now. I think about it all the time now. Um, I definitely noticed it, but I just didn't, I wasn't aware of what this, you know, like what this thing was. Yeah. I treated it like any other kind of dark period that you could just get through. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I didn't, um, the galvanizing moment really was COVID and doing this story. Um, and you know, I was aware, like once I started doing research, I was like, Oh, okay, that's what it is. And I started talking to some experts and some doctors and nurses and stuff like that. And a lot of them reported the same thing where like one of the sources for the story is a, there's a brilliant nurse who, um, said like she delivers babies like this is her job she deals with parents yeah. all day long every day for 20 years and um she had a baby and had like a traumatic birth which is by the way is another trigger for postpartum I'm depression. Sure. if you witness a traumatic birth like your 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 risk level goes way up because um, you you know the, the the mother has been obviously very traumatized but you were also being you know probably less traumatized she, but still traumatized by being in a like such a stressful and scary situation like that but she had a, a traumatic birth and then went home, and her husband was in this shitty situation where they wouldn't give him paternity leave. Um, they made him go back to work immediately after she got out of the hospital. She was in the hospital for a week and a half, like, recovering. Jesus. And then they got home, and he had to, they were like, well, time to come back to work. And so he had to come back to work, and so that's stressful. He feels like he's failing because he's not there to, like, help his wife sure. and child. Um, and he just started, you know, fritzing out, and she was just watching him one day, and she just goes, she was like, you know what? If I didn't know any better, like I would think that you you were suffering from postpartum depression. And then literally, this is like a veteran nurse at a major hospital had to go Google is paternal is male postpartum depression a thing? And she was yeah. like, holy shit, it is a thing. And there are you know there's like a handful of papers out there. Um, there's not a ton of re- not a lot of research has right. been done on it. But then she became like a major advocate, being like, and once you once you're aware of it, it's one of those things that you start to see it all over the place. Sure. And you see it in your own experience sometimes if you're one of the guys who was affected by it. But you can also see it in like friends of yours who have kids who are starting to like starting to skid out a little bit. Um, and once you know what's there and you understand how it works and what sets it off, and also the social factors that keep it from being taken seriously and being treated, um, it makes a lot of sense. It sure. explains a lot, you
2: know. So what sparked you? You said you did nothing, right, to 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 get over it and and, and to work through it. What then sparked you to to write the story? Did you... Because you definitely... I mean, we spoke about it way before coronavirus happened. I think this was back in January. What sparked you to want to look into it? What sparked you to actually want to write an article about it and talk to other people about it? Was it just like a wormhole one night where you just like looked it up? Like also Googled it. Is postpartum depression in men a thing? Or did you at some point realized that you were going through it and decided that you should look into it a little bit more to see if you were going through it.
1: Yeah. I th- or none of the, above, I was like aware this. of it by then. Um, so I would have been, yeah, you and I talked and was in January.
2: It was like Jan- January, January, yeah. early February, something like that.
1: Yeah. Somewhere around there. Okay. So, so the the real, like, unflattering mercenary explanation is that the magazine contacted me and said, you want to write something for us? Oh, really? Like, sure, I'll, take, I'll take your money. Um, but but I was aware of this because I at some point, I don't remember when, I just started Googling it. And I was like, is this, like, what, a, you know, what could this be? And yeah. this was more or less when I was out of the woods. Sure. Um, I was just curious. And I was just poking around. I found a couple of papers and stuff. Um, but yeah they just they said Do you want to write a story and i was like well this is you know this is the thing i've been poking at and i haven't seen anything that any story where like men talked about it on the record for sure um which michael Addis, who's the psychologist at um at clark university um who's like one of the leading experts in men's mental health um when he and i were talking he was just like so how are you going to do the story is you just going to do the research and I was like no there was actually like a pretty good response like a lot of guys were willing to talk about it and he was like on the record and I was like yeah and he was just like no one's really gone on the record about this before I think I found one piece that was like a blog post where someone talked about it but I thought it was super important to just try to get guys to talk about it make it real right because if it's just an abstract thing then it's again men are weird with mental health stuff they might be like yeah not for me but if it's their testimonials there are people like being super candid like you guys were yep. and being really honest about it and uh, and and walking readers through what what the process was like and what it felt like then if it becomes real right then you've normalized it to a certain right. degree um and then maybe they're they don't feel embarrassed by it they're like okay well these guys seem like they're fun to hang around with and like they will be this is this makes me feel less bad about like giving somebody a call or Sure. Even reaching out to friends if you're, if you're not comfortable, going to like a therapist or something like that. Like just talking to anyone about it, it becomes super important. So I, I, I knew about it a little bit. You know they wanted, they wanted me to write something and um, as I surveyed a lot of the research, um, it was pretty striking. Um, there are some serious people involved in doing the research, so it wasn't just like tossed off stuff. Um, yeah. pretty heavy people who are looking into it, um, even in its early stages. So I figured it was credible. I had my own experience that I could draw upon. And then um, and then just try to do it in a way that was going to be like, not clinical and not kind of woo-woo. Because um, again, like I, I'm deeply allergic to that sort of thing. Absolutely. Generally. Um, so I wanted to just make it a normal thing that guys could talk about. For and sure. Just try to be useful in that way.
2: After doing all the research, after talking to all the guys that you spoke to, what did you find or did you even find to be the best way to cope with this and come out on the other side.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just knowing that it exists. Um, that's huge because the thing that kind of accelerates it or worsens it is this belief that you're the only one going through it. Yep. Um, and that can put you into a spiral. You know, so, If you're just like, I'm looking at all these super dads uh, and they're having a great time and I'm not doing well and I'm embarrassed by it. So I must be screwing up. And if I'm screwing up, there must be something wrong with me. And then it turns into shame and everything else. Sure. Um, So being aware of like, number one, that it exists, that it's real, that it's pretty widespread. Number two, that it has a really deleterious effect on your kid's development. Um, But number three, like what the risks are, uh, that's really important too. So, um, you know, a big risk is sleep deprivation. Um, that'll really hurt you
2: Risks yeah. as far as leading to it Or risks that can turn it even deeper Into a deeper spiral or both
1: Well it will It definitely spirals right So like But the things that can set it off initially And if you don't get help All these things will get worse But um, but like stress and anxiety So fathers today do a lot more work uh, yep. They do a lot more parenting um, and in many cases They're working full-time jobs Their partners are working full-time jobs Um, it's an enormous workload if you don't have a lot of help it's a huge amount of work it's like having another job um it's a lot of stress so that is a a trigger that can set you off just like heightened stress um feelings of incompetence Uh, i heard that again and again and again and again and And, you know to a degree everybody's an idiot when you have a kid for the first time um but in this case you know you and i were talking about this but our generation is expected to do a lot, to be very involved, to be emotionally attuned. Um, all these things that, like our fathers were great, um, but they weren't in the trenches like that. Like it sure. was a pretty clear division yeah, exactly. of labor. They did the work, brought in the money. Mothers raised the kids. So we're expected to do a lot more of this stuff, um, which is great. And it, there's a lot of research showing that this is it's better for the kids if both parents it's are like intimately involved in their, you know, their their um, upbringing um but the problem is there's like a skills gap that becomes a real a real issue where you're expected to do a lot but you don't have any role models that taught you how to do it there are no classes really um that teach you how to do this stuff you know you can't look to your experience with your father because your father was probably not working at the level that we're working at now so then you start to get frustrated you feel like a failure because you don't naturally know how to do things that other generations just didn't do and then sometimes your partner might get frustrated with you because you're like this total rank amateur and you're screwing <laughs> stuff up and then she's like taking things away from you and being like you know forget about the diaper i'll deal with the diapers and then you start feeling oh, that was also more big. like a failure and everything else so there's like a really steep learning curve that we're just not prepared for um that's a major trigger one that everyone told me about that some of the doctors talked about this too um was an expectation that you were going to bond immediately Well, oh, interesting
2: the baby. Interesting. And
1: you you are not necessarily going to bond immediately with the baby. Yeah. Um. So a lot of guys are like, you're led to expect that you're going to lay eyes on this child and it's going to be like, bam, um, you're going to be all in. That doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little while for the father to bond with the baby. But if you don't know that that's normal, you're like, am I like am yeah. I a sociopath? Yeah. Uh, is there something really wrong with me here? Like, why am I not like on the cloud nine here? um, that can start it off as well. So all these things can work in concert. Um, and then if you start getting depressed and you're not getting help, like the noose just tightens. Um, some of the treatments that people suggested, again, this is early days because there hasn't been um, really extensive research done on what, what can address this problem. Um, therapy is good, but one of the big things in Michael Addis, the psychologist said this too, um, is just talking to somebody else um just talking to another father particularly this is why parks little parents was was really valuable for a lot of guys for you um and for for a lot of the guys i talked to was that it's a community so you're not lonely so that's good it deals with that part of the thing it's social so you're getting out of your head you're getting out of your house that's good that's healthy um but mainly it just if you're if you're having candid conversations about this it becomes immediately clear that this is not unusual right like any struggle is not unusual And if you're going into this as a total rookie, everything feels like it's novel and you're the only one experiencing it. But something like this, when you start, you know, you take the risk of reaching out. You take the risk, maybe it it might be embarrassing, you might be uncomfortable doing it, but quite likely you're going to find that other guys have gone through this too.
2: God, this, I'm so, I can't say enough of how happy I was that not only was I a part of this article, but that you went out there and did it because you're a hundred percent right. Bring it to the foresight and letting people know, you know, my wife and I talk so much, especially when my daughter was very young about how nobody talks about the hardships of breastfeeding. And if people did, it would help women who are having problems with breastfeeding cope with it even more right or or be able to cope with it period this is kind of the same thing um if people just talked about it and brought it to light and communicated it just to friends to other dads you know um it would kind of lessen the blow I, i feel like a little bit and just alleviate some of that stress and anxiety um so i'm super honored uh that I was a part of it and the world should be blessed that you that you brought this to the light i i'm, I'm and i'm 100% serious because it, it is it is highly necessary for people to understand it and for men to know that it's fucking okay yeah
1: that's great thanks for saying that
2: yeah that means a lot dude it's 100% it's 100% true um but with that we're going to wrap up here in a second and i can't let you go without dropping the two questions that i asked to every dad that's on the show uh so the first one is What's been your favorite thing or favorite experience about fatherhood or being a dad in general?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Just having a really good audience. Um, (laughs) She's just a, she's a, she's a, not an easy (laughs) laugh, but a satisfying laugh.
2: Oh, it's so um, great when they laugh at you. Yeah, it's just awesome. like
1: just I can I can just absolutely slay. Her. I just do it all day long. That's amazing. Um, I can just absolutely kill that kid. It's great. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I just I love making her laugh. That's my favorite. My favorite part of it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's probably more profound than that. But but that's like anytime things are kind of shitty. I know I can just go like do something that will get her to crack up. Yep. Um it's great. Yeah, it's great. She's got a great laugh too. the
2: The second question is uh, my selfish question of the evening. What's your best piece of dad advice that you would give for a dad in this fatherhood adventure behind you?
1: I think it's probably similar to, to what your, your other guest had. Um, like, take care of yourself. It's a long run. Um, there are limits to how long you can just, like... Go full on. Sure. Um, without sleep, without taking a break, without like tending to yourself. Sure. Um, it's not to say like indulging yourself, but like recognize that um, there are things like if you need to exercise, carve it out. Yep. You know, if that's like something that you, you really need to keep your head on straight, uh, make sure you're doing it. If you need breaks, make sure you articulate that. Um, all that stuff. Like, you know, there's obviously a line between making everything about you and being like, accommodate me. I have sure. my, these are my needs. For sure. Meet need my needs. But, um, but take it seriously um, because especially if you're working, especially if you don't really have help, um, you will really seriously burn out pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. Like parental burnout is a, is a pretty common thing. Yeah. Um, know that like you're going to be doing this for a long time. It's going to be pretty tiring for a long time. Uh, make sure that you've built something in there too. Uh, Some would say you'll be
2: doing stay this stay. for a lifetime.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a serious grind. So don't, don't like
2: sprint at the beginning of the marathon. Um, well, dude, this was this is fucking awesome. I'm I am uh, excited that finally, after the eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever months it was since we since we spoke in person the first time, uh, we were finally able to do this. I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate you diving into this epidemic, as 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 you call it, and it's a hundred percent true of the postpartum depression stuff in men. Um, for anybody that's listening, if you want to check out that article, it is in Men's Health magazine, uh, currently online right now. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, it is an amazing read, if nothing else, and it is really it's really helpful if you're dealing with any sort of stress or you know overwhelming feelings, uh, being a new dad. It's definitely fantastic. You did a phenomenal job. I really appreciate you coming on and, and having the chat and going even deeper into it with, with, with me tonight. Um, hopefully we can actually get together in another coffee shop uh, near us or or bar or something where we can actually hang out in person very soon.
1: Sounds great, man. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. This Absolutely. Great. Thank
2: you. Thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. I will talk to you very soon. And that is all for this week's episode of Dad Hard with a Podcast. As always, to connect on the fatherhood, brotherhood, shoot us an email at dadhardpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dadhardpod and check out the website wedadhard.com where this episode will be right at the top of the playlist. And in addition, uh, this article that I just spoke to uh, Joe Cohen about uh, dealing with and doing a deep dive on postpartum depression in dads uh, will be on there for you to read as well. So definitely check that out. It is absolutely phenomenal. He did an incredible job really personifying everything that goes into it and is felt uh with the hardships of early fatherhood Um again thanks to Joe Cohane for coming on and being my guest until next week same dad hard time same dad hard place that's all for us
3: we're out peace remember back in the days before you got blazed and lost in the haze God, remember, the good times, remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun right right Remember back in the days before you had brains I cared about your didn't ways. Care about nothing back. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. right. Ain't that the truth, man? Yeah. I wish I could go back being a little kid again, man. Yes, I do. Remember them good times. Oh, yeah. Everything was free spirit and all that. I'm talking the playground. He playing on the monkey balls or whatever.